Thank you, Lauren, and uh, welcome back to Manhattan. And to all of you who disappeared for three months, it's good to have you back. We love having college students uh, here at Faith. Uh, many, many times, uh, it's a case for me, I look back at my college days are very foundational. I went from living one type of life to becoming a follower of Christ, and it really set the pattern for the entire rest of my life. We trust that uh, your time at Faith and your time here in Manhattan will be that for you. And for others of you who've been gone for a while, it's good to see, see you as well. <clears throat> it's kind of toasty in here, isn't it? Our AC is having a little hard time keeping up with the heat. But uh, it's supposed to cool down in September sometime, so... <clears throat> Kind of a first world problem. Okay. Well, that was embarrassing. <clears throat> okay, so I'm thinking about two people that I know really, really well. And um, one of them is a good listener, and the other, not so much. Neither of these people live in Kansas, so you have no idea who they are. But this one guy, uh, when we talk, I mean, he's just very, very attentive. And he often kind of says things that, that makes me know that he really wants to understand what I'm saying. He'll say, now, are you saying this or are you saying this? Or he'll say, now, let me make sure I've understood what you said here. And he'll repeat what I said. And uh, I remember a time a few months ago <clears throat> when I was talking to him and he made an observation about something I had said a couple of weeks earlier, a very insightful observation. And it was very clear to me he had been thinking about what I had said. I mean, thought, really thought about it, probably prayed about it. Uh, and he made that observation. And guess how that made me feel? Well, I felt heard. I felt understood. Actually, I felt loved by this man. The other person, he, he actually loves me, I know he does, but when I speak, I just don't at all have the same attentiveness. He'll kind of hear what I say and then come back with something totally, totally unrelated or just, there's just no follow through on that. I don't get the, fin the sense he really wants to get what I'm talking about. And so as a consequence, when I'm around him, I'm really pretty cautious about what I say and how I say it. You could probably think of analogous people in your life. But the dynamic at play is that we, all of us, we care deeply what other people do with our words, right? I mean, we just do. I mean, Jesus said, the mouth speaks whatever fills the heart. And so we care what people do with our hearts. And so naturally, we also care what people do with our words that flow from our hearts. And I say all of this because if you read the Bible, it says in, in many different ways that the God of the universe, God himself, also deeply cares what we do with his words. He really does. And, and his words are, are inscripturated. They're found in scripture. And so God cares whether we're good listeners. He cares whether we listen to what he has to say. We're hearers, whether we think about it, sometimes it's called meditate on it, whether we talk about it, he, he really cares whether or not we actually are doers of the word. Now, one thing you find throughout the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, is that we as human beings are not very good at that. Started in the garden, Adam and Eve, they disregarded this very simple directive that God gave them. 
the children of Israel in the wilderness. God put them in these difficult situations. Deuteronomy 8 tells us to show, show them that people do not live by bread alone. We don't merely live by eating food, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. But they didn't get that. In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah, uh, God told the prophet, said, you can talk to these people, but they will not understand. They are dull of hearing. That's early in the, cha- in the, the book. By the end of the book, after the suffering servant has come, uh, God says in, in Isaiah 66, 2, in the second half of that verse, he says, but this is the one to whom I will look. This is the person that gets my full attention. The one who is humble and contrite, and heart. Those are not proud and haughty. They readily admit, I've sinned here. God, I haven't done what you wanted. And the one who trembles at my word. That's the one God takes seriously. Tremble at his word. This is the fear of the Lord because we fear God. We want to know, we want to get what he has to say. We try to hang on his every word in scripture. And so I hope that gets your attention, and I wonder if you're asking the question, okay, how do I get there? How do I become that passionate about God's Word where I would tremble at it? Well, one place to begin is to have the same view of Scripture that Scripture has for itself, which is the same view of Scripture that Jesus had of Scripture. Uh, You really can't have a higher view of Scripture than what Jesus did. He said, God's Word cannot be broken. Every jot and tittle has to be fulfilled. Scripture, all Scripture has to be fulfilled. Apostle Paul had the same attitude towards Scripture. And so this morning, we're going we're gonna to pause our series on the book of Acts. We've been studying Acts for uh, ever since January. And we're going to take four weeks to talk about these four attributes of Scripture that Protestants, ones that believe the Bible anyway, Protestants have had for centuries. These four attributes... And we're calling this this series Formed by the Word because that's what we're going for. We believe that the Word should form us, really shape how we think and feel and act and speak. And so it's not enough to just have a high view of Scripture. The Pharisees had a high view of Scripture. But when God showed up in the flesh, they crucified Him. They knew Scripture. They, They studied it. They memorized it. They quoted Bible verses to people but they did not know God. And so it's not enough. It's essential to have a high view of Scripture, but we also need a deep experience with God through the Scripture to the the point where it forms who we are. And so we're going to look at these four attributes of Scripture, and uh, you can write them down now if you want, or we we put this manuscript on on our website on Monday morning, so you can get it there if you'd like. But four attributes, the authority of Scripture, which means that it is final. It's the final word on everything it addresses. The necessity of Scripture, it is needed. If we didn't have Scripture, we would know almost nothing about who God is and what He wants of us. The sufficiency of Scripture, it is enough. It really does accomplish what God wants in relation to Uh, salvation, sanctification, and then the clarity of Scripture. It is understandable. There are hard passages, difficult things to understand, but on the whole, by and large, it is really clear what God is, is wanting, what He's communicating. And 
That should be the case. God is a great communicator, okay? And so these attributes should fuel our desire to be formed by the word, as it promises in many places. And so today we're going to consider the authority of Scripture. And by authority of Scripture, what we mean by that is that Scripture has the final word on every topic that it addresses. If Scripture addresses a topic, it is the final word. Uh, Scripture doesn't address every topic of knowledge in the universe. It mentions almost everything, but it doesn't attempt to teach on, for example, name it, speech therapy, okay? We don't go to the Bible to learn that generally, or mathematics, or construction science. And so it doesn't speak on many issues, but what it does speak on, that is our authority. And so if you hold to the authority of Scripture, you will submit to what the Bible says about God, humanity, what's true of humans, salvation, heaven, and hell, human sexuality, relationships, compassion, anger, speech, and dozens of other topics. And so if you hold to the authority of Scripture, you basically say, the Bible is my authority. What I seek to do is to understand what Scripture teaches, and so I want to believe everything that it teaches, I want to obey everything that it demands, and I want to trust in everything that it promises. And as you're aware, there are many other, other authorities in our world. And so instead of saying, I'm going to believe what my logic tells me, or I'm going to believe what church experts tell me, or I'm going to believe what our culture values, we're saying, no, our authority is the Word of God. He has spoken. It's our authority. With that brief explanation, let's... let's consider the context. It's really, really fascinating. The early part of 2 Timothy, in the early part of 2 Timothy 3, Paul tells Timothy to anticipate how hard it's going to be for him. He was a pastor in Ephesus. How hard it's going to be to remain faithful to God and faithful to his calling. He says, Timothy, in these last days, which we are also in, this period of time between the first and second comings of Christ, uh, people are going to love the wrong things. Instead of loving God, they're going to love themselves. They're going to love pleasure. They're going to love money. He says, instead of being people that live lives of gratitude and self-control, they're going to be erratic, impulsive, and brutal. So, Timothy, it's going to be hard for you to remain faithful, given everything the world believes and does. But what's significant for our purposes in this message on the authority of Scripture is that for Paul, the thing the thing that would help him be faithful to God and faithful to his calling was to continue in Scripture. Scripture, he had to remain true to Scripture. And so we learned three things from 2 Timothy 3 in relation to 3, 14 through 17 in relation to Scripture. First of all, we see that the authority of Scripture flows from its divine origin because it's from God. It has authority. In verse 16, Paul makes this very bold, visionary statement about Scripture. And he's referring to the Hebrew Scriptures here, what we call the Old Testament. But even in Paul's day, uh, his writings were considered as Scripture. We find that at the very end of 2 Peter 3, uh, Peter referred to, to Paul's writings. 
as scripture. And so, let's see. Verse 16, Paul says this. And so the point there is that all 66 books of our Bible, or what Paul says here is also true of them. And so in the first line in verse 16, he says, all scripture is breathed out by God. Uh, some translations say inspired. And so uh, the emphasis here is upon the origin of scripture. It's as if God exhaled and the product is scripture. It's as if he exhaled his truth, his thoughts into the minds and hearts of human beings. And what they wrote down, they used their own vocabulary, grammar, they used their own um, personalities, but what they wrote down is exactly what God wanted communicated. And so just like Jesus is fully God and fully man, uh, scripture is also fully divine and fully human but it's exactly what God wanted communicated. And that's how, how Jesus viewed the Hebrew scriptures. If you look at Matthew 19, verses 4 and 5, he quoted from Genesis 2, and he could have said, and it would have been accurate if he said to, for him to have said, have you not read what Moses said? But what he said was, have you not read what God said in Genesis chapter 2. Both Paul and the author of Hebrews had the same, same view. What scripture says, God says. Because God has all authority, his word is authoritative. Scripture is the final word on every topic that it addresses. And in this passage, Paul tells Timothy that because scripture is God-breathed and authoritative, it is sufficient. It's essential when it comes to salvation and sanctification. And salvation refers to coming to faith in Christ, entering into a relationship with God through Jesus. Sanctification refers to growth in holiness, becoming more like God who is holy. And so let's consider each of those. First of all, scriptures are authority for salvation. And in these verses, verses 14 and 15, Paul tells Timothy that since the scriptures had led him to Christ, he should continue in those scriptures. <clears throat> he says this, but as for you, and that's in contrast to the people he had just mentioned, people who uh, were going to bad, from bad to worse, who were deceived and deceiving others, and they were people in the church. We said, by contrast, as for you, they've abandoned the scripture, but you continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. And so he tells Timothy, stay the course. These, these deep convictions and these deep theological truths that you've learned and you become convinced of, continue in them and remember who you've learned them from. We know he learned it from his mother and his grandmother, and he also learned it from Paul, of course, the apostle Paul. And so what Timothy had learned it's not outdated. It's not obsolete. Timothy needed to continue in the scripture. And then in verse 15, he mentions that this foundation had been laid in childhood. He says, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. And that's a way they often refer to the Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. You've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith that is in Christ Jesus. 
And so we're told that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. And so Paul says, the scriptures you've heard, they're able to make you wise to salvation. And so think about if Timothy being steeped in the Old Testament. So he would have been steeped in the book of Proverbs. Now think about you college freshmen here. Some of you are bound to be freshmen. I think about you leaving home for the first time. and You've got this whole world in front of you. Well, Proverbs is written from the perspective of a dad to his son who is leaving home. And he's telling, telling his son, you're going to have a lot of options out there. You can take this path. It's a lot of pleasure, but it leads to death. It's like digging a hole and then walking right into it. But there's another path. It's a path of wisdom. It's a path that leads to life. And so Timothy had read that, and I strongly urge you to read Proverbs as well. But uh, Timothy had heard that. He said, the fool, he would have read that the, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Timothy would have grown up knowing that there's a God who is the creator of the earth and everything in it. He would have heard that, that sin must be atoned for through a blood sacrifice. You can't just say, sorry, good. No, you have to have a, a blood sacrifice. And so when Paul came to Lystra, Acts 14, and he preached Jesus is the once for all sacrifice for sin, Timothy believed his heart had been prepared by the scriptures that he had learned from childhood. They prepared him to experience the salvation, which is through faith in Christ Jesus. And so we've seen this in our study of Acts. The scriptures are the God-given method for coming, coming to salvation. And so parents, I would just say to you, and we sure didn't do it perfectly in, uh, with our three kids, but I would just say to you that one of your top priorities has got to be to teach your kids the truths of scripture they don't just need moralism. They don't just need to know this is right, this is wrong. They need the words of Scripture in their minds, in their hearts. Over time, it, it makes them wise to the point of coming to faith in Jesus Christ and experiencing salvation. It, it can have an effect. Nothing else does. A few months ago, I was down in Andover with my daughter, uh, Rose, and her family, and uh, I was in the basement with my five-year-old grandson named Wyatt and their dog, who's a Sheltie, very yappy, hyperactive Sheltie, was in the basement with us. And uh, Cora's her name, and, and we love Cora, but <clears throat> Cora, <clears throat> she grabbed a pillow and she was, you know, jostling around the way Shelties do. And so I, I yelled at her, Cora, and I grabbed the pillow and I swatted her. Seemed like an appropriate thing to do, right? I mean, what else are you going to do? Well, my five-year-old grandson, he walked up to me, and in the most sincere voice you can imagine, he said, Grandpa, I don't think you were slow to anger with Cora. <laughs> and, I, and I just instinctively went, oh, yeah, you're probably right on that. And so I don't love being corrected by, you know, Pastor Steve, by my five-year-old grandson. But I do love that his heart and mind are being saturated with the sacred writings, the scriptures, that's James 1, that's able to, to give him wisdom unto salvation. And so scriptures are authority on salvation. It's the final word. 
And as you know, you'll hear all sorts of views on what will save you. One of the dominant views in our culture is that you actually don't really need to be saved from anything. Whatever your problem is, it's not that bad. And you almost get the impression if you just avoid being an axe murderer, if there is a heaven, you'll get there. But that's not what Scripture teaches. If you want to know what what salvation is all about... You have to go to Scripture. It reveals things that you won't hear anywhere else. And so read the Scripture, and it will, it will reveal your sin. It will talk about it. And many people read the Bible for the first time, and they go, finally, a book that understands me. And if you let it, Scripture will convict you of your sin, and you'll realize I've, sin- I've sinned by nature. Nobody taught me to do this. I sin by nature and by choice. And if you allow it to, Scripture will show you the remedy. It will describe how the Son of God, He laid aside His heavenly prerogatives. He became one of us. He lived a sinless life. And He went to the cross, not because He had done anything wrong, not because He had sinned. He hadn't. But He went to the cross to pay for your sin. And if you, if you go to Scripture, it will, it will invite you to repent. You turn from your sin. You say, God, I see it, and I'm turned, decisively turning my back on my sin, and I put my faith in Jesus Christ. And so that's what you'll get from Scripture, and Scripture will do this work in your heart. You've probably heard that or something like that along the way. Scripture will convince your heart on that. And so Scripture is the God-given means for coming to salvation. And so read the Scripture directly. Strongly encourage you to read, study Scripture with Christians who know God. We have many life groups here at church. Uh, We have a college group uh, that that you can be part of. There are numerous campus ministries uh, at K-State this is what they do. They have Bible studies. They're expert at this, where you can come in and have non-pressurized conversations about the Bible and about salvation. So, Scripture's our authority when it comes to salvation. It's also our authority when it comes to sanctification. After coming to faith in Christ, the Scriptures are the final word on how we grow in Christ. We read in verses 16 and 17, all Scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable. And that's what you'd expect, right? If the God of the universe is going to inspire Scripture, you would expect it to be helpful, valuable, insightful. You wouldn't expect for it to be irrelevant. No, it's profitable. And he mentions four ways for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's consider all, each of those four things briefly. Scripture's profitable for teaching. And so Scripture, if you allow it to, it will impart content, okay? Faith has content. And so it will teach you things about God that you just otherwise would not know. And it will teach you about how do you have a relationship with God. And since Scripture, one of its profitable uh, um, One of the reasons it's profitable is for teaching. That means that we should show up to Scripture teachable, right? We don't show up saying, well, I'm pretty sure I know what this is going to say. You know, people that finish your sentence for you and they're wrong. We often do that with God. No, His ways are higher than our ways. So we show up understanding this conviction. I know I don't 
think the way God does. So I'm going to show up teachable and hear what it has to say. If you haven't been surprised by Scripture, I, I wonder if you're reading it carefully enough, honestly. I've been reading the Bible, I think, for about 44 years now. And it, it's a rare week, almost a rare day when I don't read something, I'm like, wow, I don't think that way. That is different from the way I think. That's different from what I want. And so scripture is profitable for teaching. Second and third benefits are complementary. Scripture is profitable for reproof and correction. So reproof or rebuke involves confronting things that need to change in our lives. And so it says, this is something in your life that's wrong, but it doesn't stop there. In a complementary way, it shows you the correct way to live. It shows you how to live rightly and how to think and speak rightly. Therefore, we should come to the scriptures assuming that there are things in our life that need to be corrected, need to be confronted and corrected. And I will tell you this, if you, if you actually do this, go to scripture, for correction, for reproof and correction, it will be a great gift to the people you live with, the people that know you best. Because if you let Scripture do that, they won't have to do that as much, okay? They see things that need to be confronted and corrected. If you let Scripture do it, man, what a blessing, what a gift it is to other people. And understand that, that God is a good father who disciplines us for our good. He's not a bully. He doesn't force us to do what he wants because he's bigger than us and stronger than us. No, he he is a good father who is uh, abounding in loving kindness and truth. He's, He's slow to anger. He disciplines us for our good that we might be like him. Finally, Scripture is profitable for training in righteousness. And so the Scriptures train or equip us to live rightly in our everyday behavior. And so Scripture is merely pious platitude. It's not like motivational posters. It's practical for everyday righteousness. And so the net result is of the profitability of Scripture is that we are adequate, equipped for every good work. And God has good works for us to do. He's prepared them beforehand. And he doesn't want us to show up in these situations where we're, we're clueless. And we have, I have no idea. What am I supposed to be thinking, saying? Scripture will prepare us. It's not that we get everything right, but we'll have a wisdom and a depth that allows us to do these good works that God has prepared. And so Scripture is our authority, not only for salvation, but for sanctification. And so in light of all that, I want to I um, urge, recommend, ask you to engage in a specific discipline for the next four weeks, if you will. And here it is. It's, it's related to a very specific chapter of the Bible. And here it is. Allow Psalm 119 to form the way that you experience God through his word. We're asking you and we're, we're wanting as a church broadly Uh, to go to the scriptures daily, this chapter 119 of Psalm, in light of what we've taught that week, and meditate on it. And a few words about Psalm 119. As you may know, it's the longest chapter in the Bible. It is 176 verses. It's actually longer than some whole books of the Bible. 
and it's comprised of 22 stanzas with eight verses each. And each stanza begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. There's 22 letters in the uh, ancient Hebrew alphabet. And so it's like, uh, and it, almost every single verse is about the word of God. And so it's if the uh, God is saying, if you want to know the A to Z, what it looks like to relate to my word, me through the word, look at Psalm 119. And so in light of today's message on the authority of God's word, approach Psalm 119, believing that it, along with other scriptures, is God's final word on how to approach God through scripture. And again, um, culture, our culture and other voices will tell you, you should approach scripture with skepticism, or you should doubt what you read there. But if you read Psalm 119, it will tell you, no, actually, you should approach God's word with humility. You don't judge it. You allow it to judge you. You approach it with faith. If you have doubts, you should, you should address them. But you're going, to, for, you're going for faith and for the fear of the Lord. And so Psalm 119 is God-breathed and therefore authoritative and profitable. If you allow it to, it will show you the profitability in all the ways we've talked about today. Let me give you three quick examples just from Psalm 119. Again, I hope you follow through on this and you experience this in, in many different ways. But first of all, it's profitable for teaching. One of the things that's taught repeatedly in Psalm 119 is that God is the one who gives us understanding. Verse 18, for example, the psalmist says, open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things from your law. And so that teaches us that yes, you need to go to scripture, you need to read it, you need to meditate, but you also need to pray and say, God, will you show me, will you give me understanding? And that's consistent with the rest of scripture. We don't come to scripture and say, I've got a, I'm a, a smart person, so I can understand it and do something to it and get something out of it. No, we want God through the Holy Spirit to show us what we need to see. And so pray. Think about how Psalm 119 might be profitable for reproof and correction. Verse 71 says this. In the first half of Psalm 71, this is something I just never think on my own. But the psalmist said, it is good for me that I was afflicted. I tend to think it was bad for me that I was afflicted. I don't like pain. I don't like discomfort. I don't like to be inconvenienced. It's all annoying. And so this is a, a, an implicit rebuke or reproof if you tend to be grumbly and complaining and accusatory toward God. Why was it good for him? He says that I might learn your statutes. So what's the correct attitude to take when in the middle of afflictions? Well, you remain teachable because sometimes the context for learning the deepest lessons is suffering. It's true in my life. There are some things I've experienced. I would never want to relive them again, but the lessons that I've learned, I wouldn't trade them for anything. And so this, a verse like this can reprove and correct Finally, profitable for training in righteousness, verse 136 says this about real life righteousness. He says, and again, this is something I just, this is not my way of thinking. He says, my eyes shed streams of tears 
because people do not keep your law. And so there are other responses when we see people not doing the will of God. If you see a brother or sister, you know, you, you go to them in humility and kindness and you talk with them about it. Uh, but I, I tend to think more often we get angry that people aren't keeping God's law. But here's another idea. Shedding streams of tears over the devastation of sin in people's lives, in our lives. Shedding streams of tears over the sorrow that it brings to the heart of God. And so these are examples that illustrate the profitability of Scripture. So our encouragement, again, and I'll finish here, is to read and think about a portion of Psalm 119 daily, if you can. There's no rules here, but daily, if you can, for the next four weeks. And so what I purpose to do in my heart, and uh, you might consider this, is I, I'm planning every day to spend some time thinking deeply on two stanzas from Psalm 119. That would be 16 verses. As well, uh, every day, I'm just going to listen on my Bible app once a day to the entirety of the chapter. You can do it while you're driving, do it while you're eating breakfast, you can do it wherever you want. But I'm trusting that God will give me a renewed passion for his word, that he will form me through his word. And I would encourage you, and I would dare say, in four weeks, if you take us up on this and you really give yourself to this, that you might find that in four weeks you realize, wow, I have this hunger I didn't have. I actually find myself trembling at God's word in a good way, in a sweet way. And that will be good for you and it will bring the glory of God. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would give us grace. God, we don't pretend that we can do this in our own power, our own wisdom. And so would you, by your spirit, lead us into this discipline. May we relate to you. May we be good listeners. May we just uh, receive everything you have for us through your word. Thank you for your goodness and your kindness and all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.